He's a four-time best-selling author, keynote speaker, and futurist who explores leadership, employee experience, and the future of work. He's the founder of the futureofworkuniversity.com, an online education and training platform that helps future-proof individuals and organizations by teaching them the skills they need to succeed in the future of work. He's regularly featured in publications such as the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Harvard Business Review, CNN, and USA Today. His work has been endorsed by the CEOs of Unilever, MasterCard, Cisco, T-Mobile, Best Buy, SAP, Nestle, and KPMG, to name a few. Join me on this episode of the Curvebenders podcast with Jacob Morgan. Hi there, this is David Knorr, host of the Curvebenders podcast. I'm excited to share insights with you at the intersection of the future of work and strategic relationships. Make no mistake about it, there are a number of forces in the next two decades that will dramatically change the way we live, the way we work, the way we play, and the way we serve others. And I believe there are these relationships that will come into our lives that can change both the direction and destination of where we're headed. Those are the individuals I call curvebenders. So in each episode, I want to share with you insights from our research, from our interviews of great guests and their incredible experiences. I want to invite people to share their ideas and examples of not just coaches and mentors, but real curvebenders that have had a profound impact on their lives. Specifically, we're going to talk about pragmatic ideas in the evolution of your skills, your knowledge, and your behaviors. So let's get started. Hi, everybody. Noor here. I want to tell you about another podcast I'm excited to host that I learn from each and every month. It's the in-service podcast series by Service Council, and it's a gathering of field service, support, and customer experience leaders from global companies across a multitude of industries. Each month, I interview incredible leaders of those service organizations who really bring the value of the products and services to life with their after-the-sale support. Amid this global pandemic, they've had to learn how to reinvent themselves through remote support, augmented reality, and user-driven self-service. Join us each month as we feature these unsung heroes, visionaries, and just plain awesome doers. Learn more at servicecouncil.com slash podcasts. Again, that's servicecouncil.com slash podcasts, plural, or wherever you consume podcasts. Welcome back to the Curvebenders podcast. My guest today is a new friend, someone who actually I, I listened as he was presenting a, a session actually sponsored by Cisco. And uh, I got so much value from, from the content he shared that I reached out and said, uh, I'd love to have you come join me on the Curvebenders podcast. So I want to welcome Jacob Morgan. Jacob, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you. So for those who may not know as much about you, your background, can you just share a few minutes about where you've been, what you've done, and how you've arrived here? Oh, sure. So uh, I have a, probably not a very typical story. The reason why I'm doing what I'm doing now is because I had terrible jobs working for other people for most of my life. And the the pivotal experience for me was after I graduated college. I graduated with a dual degree in economics and psychology. 
graduated with honors and uh, was very, very excited to join the corporate world. And my first job out of college in Southern California, I uh, was told that I was going to be doing all these wonderful and amazing things and traveling the country, meeting with business leaders and entrepreneurs. And so I took the job and I was very, very excited about it, only to find that a couple months into my job, I'm doing data entry and cold calling and PowerPoint presentations. And then one day, uh, the CEO comes out of his beautiful corner office and he hands me a $10 bill and he says, I'm late for a meeting. I need you to go down to Starbucks and get me a cup of coffee and get yourself a cup of coffee as well. And that was one of the last full-time jobs I ever had working for anybody else around uh, 15 years ago now. And ever since then, I was passionate about creating organizations where people actually want to show up and creating leaders where people actually want to work for those leaders. And everything I've done since then has been all about that. What a great story. So what turned you off about, here's 10 bucks, go get yourself a cup of coffee and get me one as well. You don't want to fetch coffee for the rest of your life. <laughs> no. I mean, I, my rationale was I worked very, very hard in school. And like I said, I had a dual degree in economics and psychology. I graduated with honors and I was ready to make an impact. And maybe it's well, you know, millennial entitlement, some people would say. But, you know, and some people say, oh, you know, you have to climb the corporate ladder. You got to pay your dues. And in my mind, I was thinking like, screw that. I'm not going to climb any ladder. I'm going to make my own ladder. And I think I had one other full-time job for a company after that. And my mentality has always been, if I'm able to provide value to these organizations that I'm working for and to the clients of these organizations, then I should be able to provide value to people directly on my own. Why do I need a middleman? I have my own ideas, my own things that I want to do, and I should be able to go do it. So while I had these full-time jobs, I had these side hustles that I was creating. Once I started making enough money on the side, I quit all these full-time jobs, went off on my own. That's definitely the entrepreneurial DNA, right? So there's a, there's a better way, there's a different way, and I want to put my skills, talent, knowledge to work in a different business model. So, so good on you. There's a certain amount of like, I've had it <laughs> mentality as well, right? I mean, at a certain point where you just have so many jobs that you feel are not fulfilling, where you feel unengaged, you know, disengaged. I used to wake up in the morning and have that like pit in my stomach from having to go to work. And uh, I was just kind of like, there's got to be another way. And I remember I used to have a Craigslist scanner, which is basically this piece of software that you could download. I don't know if it's still around. And it would allow you to scan all of Craigslist for various job postings. And so I would look for people who were interested in online marketing and social media consulting, and I would email all of them and try to do consulting work, virtual consulting work for all of these people. And, you know, most of them said no, but I did get a couple of projects here and there. And that's how my, my business began, doing that kind of stuff. Is that where your passion for employee experience came from? Well, it sort of evolved because my career originally started off in search engine optimization, so this was, again, 15 years ago. And for those of you who are not familiar with that, the concept of search engine optimization, it's just how do you get your website found in, in search engines? And that's what I spent a lot of time trying to figure out. I even dabbled with affiliate marketing when I was in my early 20s. Like I, I was really just trying to figure out how can I make money without having to rely on other people. And after that, that evolved into social media consulting and social media work because things like Facebook and Twitter were just getting popular. And then after that, that evolved into social media inside of organizations, things like uh, Yammer, Salesforce Chatter, Jive, Slack, which didn't exist at the time, but those types of tools, companies were using them to connect their people. So I started doing some advisory around that. 
And then that evolved into employee experience. How do we create companies where people want to show up? And then future of work and leadership. So it all kind of built on top of this online marketing social media foundation. And it just evolved over the years. So as you think about that employee experience, and, and I love the concept of you know place or an environment where people want to actually show up, what are you seeing? What are you hearing in midst of this global pandemic? What, are there some key trends that have, that have got your attention? Yeah, there are quite a few, actually. I think one of the most interesting things to pay attention to is how the role of leadership is changing, where what we're starting to see is that for leaders out there, it's become very, very crucial for them to shift their mentality from how to get other people to serve them to them serving others, to be more human, to be more authentic, to be more more vulnerable, to putting people first. This has been sort of the, the big shift. And we've talked about this for many, many years. But to be honest, leaders haven't really done much around it. Uh, you know, the concept of servant leadership, the concept put, of putting people first. These are not new ideas, but we've always been kind of like, ah, oh, you know, maybe there's one or two stories here around how people are doing that. But today, this is sort of like, if you don't do this, you cannot be a successful leader. And the concepts that I talked about in my book, which was actually designed to look at the future of leadership, where things are going over the next decade, as a result of what's happening with COVID, with things like Black Lives Matter, with uh, racism, social injustice, just the, the current global climate, a lot of the concepts that I talk about in the book are now, you know, the time horizon has shrunk. And these are now immediate things that we need to do. Because the big shift, I think, that we're starting to see is that in order to be a leader inside of most organizations, let's be honest, you didn't need to put people first. You didn't need to practice empathy. Uh, you didn't need to coach others or to help them become more successful. You didn't have to do any of that. You simply needed to stay at the company for a long time. You needed to bring in a lot of money. You needed to be good at office politics and bureaucracy. And if you were good at those things, you would get promoted. That's just how the world of leadership has always been. And now what we're starting to see is that that's not how you get into a leadership position anymore. Now you actually have to practice and do the things that we've been talking about for several years. Uh, you need to make other people more successful. You need to coach and mentor. You need to have the, the empathy, the self-awareness component. It doesn't matter if you just bring a lot of money in uh, because it's the human stuff that is really starting to be prioritized. So I think that is probably the most exciting and the biggest shift that we're starting to see. We are going to have a very clear understanding of who the good leaders are and who the bad leaders are. And hopefully the bad leaders will disappear and the good leaders will thrive. And there's also one, one other story, if I can share it with you. Please. So I have been very, very interested lately of organizations out there and the leaders who represent them who are either furloughing or getting rid of their employees or organizations who are committing to not lay their employees off. And where I live in the Bay Area, there is a waffle shop. It employs 40 people. And the owners of this waffle shop were going to retire next year. And it's called Oli's Waffle Shop in, in Alameda, California. They were going to retire next year. They bought themselves a piece of property in Santa Rosa, California. And they were getting ready to build their dream home. The pandemic hit, their sales declined by 85%, and they could have easily closed their doors and said, okay, we're done. We're just going to retire early. And they could have let all their 40 people go. And instead, what they did is they sold their property. They got rid of their 
idea of building their dream home. And they took $400,000 of their own money. And what they did with that is they continued to pay their employees, their 40 employees, their regular salaries. That to me is putting people first. And when I hear those kind of stories, I get very angry when I hear stories of organizations who are telling me that, oh, you know, we have to let go of a thousand people. We have to fire 5,000 employees. Those organizations, I think a lot of them are cowards because if there is a small waffle shop in the Bay Area where these owners are willing to personally sacrifice to take care of their people, don't give me any kind of BS that your multi-billion dollar company is doing everything it can to save the jobs and to help the people that, um, that you were actually laying off. So the other thing that I think we're starting to see is which organizations are really willing to step up, which leaders are personally willing to sacrifice to take care of their people, and which ones are not. And those uh, examples, I believe, and I'd welcome your opinion, I think will define or maybe redefine your brand because of this pandemic. Right. Yeah. So instead of the cool, sexy, jazzy ads, people are going to remember those news stories and they're going to remember and beyond the employees that are directly impacted by this. I think the customers and the partners and the supply chain are going to say this is a company and more importantly, a leader who has values and, and not just wall art, but things they deeply believe in. And they're willing to personally sacrifice for for that greater good of their their people. Yep. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is why employee experience is so crucial because now is the time for leaders. Now is the time for your organization to really step up and show what it's made of. Are you really going to put people first or are you just going to talk about it? Uh, I mean, are your leaders willing to take a pay cut? Are your your leaders willing to forego their salary? Are your leaders, some of them who are getting multi-million dollar paychecks every year, are they willing to put some of their own money back in to help the people who are not as fortunate as those leaders are? And I think that when we get through this, and we will get through this, what customers are going to remember, what other employees are going to remember are how did the organization treat them during times of stress? Because let's be honest, when things are going well, it's very easy to treat people well. When your company is making a lot of money, when sales are coming in, when your organization is growing, you know what? It's very easy to say, good job. Here's a bonus. Take a couple of days off. Like that, everybody can do that. But when your company is hemorrhaging money, when you're losing deals, when you're losing business, that is when it's really hard to say, you know what? We're struggling. We're still going to treat you well. We're still going to protect you. We're still going to keep you safe. And I really admire the organizations that are doing that. I wish that we saw more of those types of companies. What What are those attributes in that waffle shop owners that are really triggering them to do that? And what do you believe is missing from the leadership mindset of organizations that are dramatically bigger? Because they they realize that people are their biggest asset. So why do you believe one is willing? It's not even able. They're willing to do that. And the other ones aren't. Well, so I'll read you this quote. And they did a, there was a story that was done in, the, in a couple of Bay Area journals about Ken, who's one of the co-owners. Ken, I think his last name is Moniz or Moniz. It's M-O-N-I-Z-E. And the quote he said when he was being interviewed is he said, you can't just say goodbye and good luck to somebody that has worked very hard every day to help uh, you build a business. Uh, you just can't say goodbye to that. You just can't say good luck. I hope you do well. It's not in our vocabulary. We won't do it. And 
So what, what separates them is people like Ken believe in putting people first. And what that means is it's a philosophy backed by a set of actions, which prioritizes the people of an organization above all else. And what I think we see in a lot of organizations is they think they have the philosophy of putting people first, which, you know, maybe they do have the philosophy, but they don't have the actions that back it up. And as we always say, it's the actions that speak louder than words. I don't care that you tell me your organization puts people first. I don't care that your organization tells me that it cares about employees or customers. I want to see how that actually manifests. And if you're telling me that you're laying off 5,000 employees, I want to know, did you really do everything you possibly could to help those people? And we see so many stories. I mean, Gravity Payments is another organization out there. Um, and there have been a couple of stories that have been written about them. And this is a, a credit card processing company. And they have... I'm trying to remember how many employees they have. It's it's a handful of employees, more than more than the waffle shop. I want to say it's like 70 or, or 200. They're certainly considered a, a small business. And here too, the CEO years ago, what he did is he made a mandatory minimum salary of 70,000 per employee per year. Uh, he was actually making a lot more at the time. And he said, you know what? To work here, everyone, the starting salary is going to be 70 grand. And it came out of his pocket. And then now, during the pandemic, he didn't know what to do. And everybody was telling him, you got to lay off everybody. And what he did, which I wish more business leaders would do, is he went to his people and he said, guys, here's the situation. Here's what's happening. Our revenues are down. The company only has enough money for a couple months to exist before we have to disappear. I welcome your ideas and your feedback. What do you think we should do? And his employees were coming to him with suggestions and ideas. And employees were telling him, we're willing to take a pay cut. And a lot of employees came forward and they said, you know what? You don't even need to pay me for a couple months. And they all came together to find a way to keep everybody employed. And this, to me, is a CEO who really does care about putting people first because he knows that we're in unprecedented times. He doesn't have the solution. So he turns to his people and he asks them, how much are you willing? You know, what do you think we should do? How much of a pay cut are you willing to take so that we don't have to lay anybody off? Yeah. And last I heard, they, they've come to an understanding. The, a lot of employees came forward. A lot of people are willing to take pay cuts. The company is still around. It bought themselves an extra couple months of runway. And I really hope that, that the organization pulls through this because I think we really need more of these types of, of leaders like Dan Price, who's the CEO. It's 200 employees. I was just looking it up as, uh, as we were talking. So 200 employees. I mean, it's a good-sized company. I really, really think we need more of these types of leaders. Barry Waymiller... The CEO there is Bob Chapman, 12,000-person manufacturing company. Same thing. During the 2008 financial crisis, his entire board basically said, look, you got to let go of a lot of people here. We don't have enough money. You, you can't sustain this. And he also went to his company and said, look, uh, you know, same thing that, that Dan basically did. And he said, who's willing to take some unpaid time off? Who And employees there came together. They would cook food for each other. They would bring supplies for each other to help each other out. I mean, they, they turned to their people to find a solution and to help each other out instead of just saying, we're going to cut 2,000 of you. And companies today, I think, are very quick to cut people instead of save people. Are some of these ideas, examples, and your passion for this absolutely comes through in your newest book, The Future Leader? 
Yeah. So in the book, I talk about a set of four mindsets and five skills. And to give people a little bit of context around this, I interviewed 140 of the world's top CEOs from organizations like Unilever, MasterCard, Best Buy, Oracle, Kaiser. And I partnered with LinkedIn and we surveyed almost 14,000 employees around the world. And the goal of the book was to look at, is leadership changing? And if so, how? And what are going to be the crucial skills and mindsets that leaders of the future need to possess? turns out there are four specific mindsets and five specific skills. Can you give us a glimpse into those? Sure. So do you want me to go through all nine? Yeah, just to rattle them off because I know it's going to trigger other things I want to ask you about. Oh, sure. So I came up with fun little little caricatures for them. And these uh, little caricatures are, so the mindsets are the global citizen, the servant, the chef, and the explorer. The global citizen includes things like Surrounding yourself with people who are not like you, who don't think like you, thinking big picture. The servant is about humility and vulnerability and serving your customers, your uh, your employees, your leaders, if you have them, and also yourself. The chef mindset is about balancing two ingredients, which are humanity and technology. And the explorer mindset is about things like having a growth mindset, curiosity, being agile and nimble. Uh, and then there are five skills which are the coach, the futurist, the technology teenager, the translator, and Yoda. The coach is about helping make other people more successful than you. The futurist is about thinking in terms of scenarios and possibilities. The technology teenager is about being tech savvy and digitally fluent. The translator is about listening and communication, which have changed dramatically over the past few years. And Yoda is about emotional intelligence, specifically empathy and self-awareness. So mindsets are how you think. Skills are things that leaders actually need to know how to do. And collectively, these are what make up the notable nine. I've always believed that uh, I learn more, as much if not more, about my books after they come out. Because people read them and they want to talk to you about them and they have their own ideas and perspectives. Have you learned one of those to be really prevalent and or has one of those been demystified for you or proven not to be as as valuable as you, as you may have originally thought? No, I mean, the most shocking thing for me is when I did the research for the book was to learn that a lot of leaders think they're doing a reasonably job of practicing these things. But the people who work for these leaders think their leaders are doing a terrible job of practicing these things. So the number of people working for leaders who say that their leaders are doing a excellent or very good job of practicing these skills and mindsets is in the single digits. Uh, we're talking like eight, nine, uh, 9% of leaders who are practicing these things very well, according to the people who work for them. And that to me was very, very shocking because it just shows the disconnect between the perception that leaders have of themselves versus the perception that people who work for these leaders have of them. And I'm a big believer in perception is reality. And as a leader, if you're listening to this, I don't care how great you think you are at emotional intelligence. I don't care how great you think you are at coaching and mentoring others. It's the perception that's reality. And if the people who work for you say you're not doing a good job at these things, then guess what? You're not doing a good job at these things. So that to me was very, very shocking that there's such a massive disconnect. And the other shocking thing that I learned was that the average age for somebody to become a leader in an organization is usually, you know, somewhere maybe in their mid 20s, late 20s. Now, that's the first time that you get put into position, into a position where you are responsible for somebody else. And unfortunately, most people don't actually get any leadership training until they are in their late 30s, early 40s. 
And that to me was the scariest thing. Because what this means is that there's a period of around 15, 20 years of your life where you are leading others. In other words, you are responsible for taking care of them, for making sure that they are successful, for making sure that they can learn and grow and thrive. You're responsible for that, but you have no official training on how to do that until you've been doing it for 15 years. And the analogy that I like to think of is it's kind of like taking a athlete in their prime, like a Roger Federer or Serena Williams or a Michael Jordan, waiting for them to turn 40 years old and then saying, look, Jordan, we need to, uh, we need to work on your free throws. Or look, Serena Williams, uh, now that you're 40 years old, we're going to work on your backhand and your forehand. That to me is insane. And it just goes back to this idea that we traditionally think of leadership as this exclusive club of you need to be at the company for 15, 20 years before you get access to leadership training. And in my mind, I'm thinking like, why wouldn't you want everybody to have these skills and mindsets from day one? Like leadership training should be a core part of every employee's training, not just somebody who's been there for five years or 15 years, not just somebody who's bringing in a lot of money. Everybody should learn these skills and mindsets. And that to me was completely mind boggling. And it just shows that there's a lot, a lot of work to do um, in the leadership world. So you're a realist and you realize that by definition, leadership positions are far and few in between into the traditional sense, right? Yes. But your premise and your supposition and your passion and advocacy is the mindset and the skill sets are relevant to everybody. Yes. Yeah. Because I think A, everybody has the potential to become a leader. And B, in um, a little bit of a non-traditional context, you don't have to lead others to be a leader. You can be a leader of yourself. Because let's be honest, we live in a tough world. And sometimes you need to lead yourself. You need to push yourself. You need to understand the things that you need to learn and grow to be successful. You need to look for the right opportunities inside of your company. You need to fight for yourself because nobody's going to look out for you but you. So there are plenty of great leaders out there who are leaders of themselves. And even if you are leading yourself as an individual, as one single human being, you still need to know these skills and mindsets. But I think if you are responsible for the lives of others, I mean, you should not be in a formal leadership position unless you are practicing these skills and mindsets. You just have no place in, in the world of leadership. So we're talking about curve benders as relationships who dramatically change both your direction and your ultimate destination. Jacob, in thinking about where you've been, what you've done, uh, obviously a, a fantastic journey so far, can you think of some in one or two individuals who have not just helped you become more successful, but they've profoundly shaped who you've become? There are a few. Um, so my wife has certainly been one for the better. And we met at a conference in Kennesaw, Georgia, of all places. And, uh, you know, at the time she was living in New York, I was living in the Bay Area. And we met when we were in line at a conference getting a bagel. And so that was a, a, a profound change because she's very supportive and encouraging. And she always pushes me. And I like to think that I do the same thing for her. But I've also had lots of negative curve vendors, negative in the sense that they were not supportive of me, but they shaped me and put me on the path that I'm going. So one was the CEO 
that I mentioned that I worked with many, many years ago who made me go get them coffee. And the second, it would be a group of individuals who I'm not going to name because they don't deserve it, but they would be the typical trolls out there who you would consider. And these are people when I was first getting started off working on my own, who would leave angry comments on my blog, who would send direct messages to my wife, who was my then girlfriend, telling her to break up with me because I was bad for her career. They would reach out to conference organizers, telling them not to bring me on because uh, I was a bad speaker or, you know, whatever garbage they would send them. And so I had my fair share of trolls who, on the one hand, I hated at the time, but on the other hand, who gave me a lot of fuel to kind of propel and go forward. And fascinating enough, these trolls have gone nowhere in their lives or in their careers, whereas I like to think that I have skyrocketed and have propelled myself. And it's largely, not largely, but part of it is because I used a lot of their garbage and their BS as fuel. So there was a period of my life where I would probably, it was maybe two years, where I, and even my wife, we would spend hours, literally hours a day, arguing with them, getting in public Twitter fights, uh, getting angry emails. And I would respond to all of them and try to explain myself. And it was just a complete waste of life. And then finally, I realized that nobody really knows who these trolls are. None of the people who are bringing me in to speak know who these people are. And nobody cares who these people are. Literally nobody except me cares who these people are. And so really what I was doing is I was giving these trolls a spotlight that they didn't need or they didn't deserve. And so we just started ignoring them, blocked them, deleted them, removed them, because thankfully with with social media, you know, you could block and remove whoever you want. We did that and they disappeared and the noise went away. And every now and then I still see a little comment or a LinkedIn post, which I'm grateful to see. I'm glad that the, the trolls are keeping at it. But they have been, I would say, great curve benders in my life who have helped push me and to you know, leave them in the dust, so to speak. Love it. I, I have to tell you, of all the people I've interviewed, this is the first time where a negative scenario was described as a, a massive boost. So joking aside, I call these people fender benders, right? Because yeah. they're, 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 they tend to have uh, less than positive intent. And it's amazing that you're able to, and kudos, are able to turn that into something positive. Well, you, you have to. And you can't. And I love uh, uh, Brene Brown's comment of, of, I think it's a Theodore Roosevelt quote that, you know, those who are not in the arena can can mock and ridicule, but those that actually get in the arena and do do the work are the ones that that stand tall and proud of, you know, yep. whatever they accomplished, right? Yep, so, exactly. So let me flip that question ever so slightly. And I do want you to think of it in a positive, uplifting way. So you work with a lot of executives, you speak to a lot of audiences. In thinking about those you've impacted, are there some common thread you believe in becoming a curve, a positive curve bender for someone else? What are some of those? And you talked a lot about leadership and the leadership of the future. What are some of those? And, and you were talking about empathy. And, and I love that passion and absolutely putting people first. But in terms of not just helping me accomplish more, but helping me become a better person, a different person, elevate and bolster me up to a, a, a potentially a previously unreachable new height. Are there some common threads that come to your mind in those people? Yeah, there are a few. 
So the, the cover of my book, which is called The Future Leader, the cover of the book is a lighthouse. I chose that cover very intentionally, and it was a, it took a long time to figure out what to put on that cover. But I like this visual of a lighthouse when I think of leadership, because really the purpose of a lighthouse has always been to guide mariners and explorers to their destinations or back home, but to also make sure that they get to their destinations safely. And I think that that is the purpose of a leader. That's what leadership is all about. So on the one hand, leaders have to believe that they need to build themselves up to become the lighthouse. In other words, they need to learn new skills. They need to embrace new mindsets. They need to build themselves up to become these lighthouses. But at the same time, leaders also need to understand and respect that without having any ships in the water, a lighthouse is useless. Meaning that part of your job as a leader isn't just to build yourself up, but it's also to make sure that you guide others to safety and to success. And I think that's a very, very important mindset to have. And there's, you know, one of my favorite ways to talk about this is that leaders need to believe that their job is to help make other people more successful, but not just more successful, more successful than they are. Because it's easy to help somebody become more successful. Somebody might spend five minutes with you You give them one interesting piece of advice and, you know, they're slightly more successful in their lives. You could say, hey, look, I made that person a little bit more successful. It doesn't require too much effort or time or energy. But as a leader, if you believe that your job is to help make somebody else more successful than you, now that requires an enormous amount of work and effort and attention and time. And I think that is what makes a great curve bender is someone who believes that their job and their purpose is to help make other people more successful than they are. They believe that they are these these lighthouses and their job is to build themselves up and to guide other people to safety and success, to, to shine their light onto the sea of uncertainty that we're all a part of. So I think that's a very, very important criteria for what you like to call curve benders. Love that analogy. And it's so true that, again, Gary Ridge is the CEO of WD40. I think he is quoting it from someone else, but he deeply believes in this notion that it's not about being in charge. It's about taking charge of those you're responsible for and that deep sense of and the awesomeness of the opportunity to do that. So, Jacob, this has been great. Thank you for your insights. Thank you for your ideas. What's the best way for our audience to learn more about you, your work, and pick up a copy of the latest book? Sure. So there are a couple places that people can go if I'm allowed to give a, a few different resources. Of course. So if people, if people want to connect with me directly, my personal website where people can also connect with me on social media is thefutureorganization.com. For people who want to learn more about these skills and mindsets, there's a little PDF I put together, a couple pages long, has a nice visual in there, some quotes from some of the CEOs I interviewed. That can be found at theleadershipdigest.com. If you want to see how well you are practicing these skills and mindsets, and by the way, I'm going to challenge you, don't take this assessment yourself, but also have somebody else take it on your behalf. You can take the assessment at futureleadersurvey.com. And if you're just interested in the book, it's also on my website, but we did make a special URL for that too, which is getfutureleaderbook.com. 
Love it. I have no idea how you keep up with all. I have a hard time keeping up with one website, much less you know, multiple sites. So kudos to you and, and uh, all your efforts. Jacob, thank you for your insights. Thank you for your passion, your ideas, and for being a guest on the Curvebenders podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. If you've listened to the Curvebenders podcast for a few episodes, you know that I'm writing the Curvebenders book on why strategic relationships will power your nonlinear growth in the future of work. This will be book number 11 with tools, ideas, insights, case studies, great interviews like the one you heard today. In essence, what you need to create a personal and professional growth roadmap in your future of work. I'm excited to begin sharing key sections with the members of our NOR forum community. So go to norgroup.com slash forum and check out the Curvebenders thread for more details. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Curvebenders podcast with Jacob Morgan. Three comments Jacob made during our interview really resonated with me. What an incredible story to finish with a dual degree in economics and then uh, be asked to go fetch a cup of coffee. It's not the coffee part that I think got under his skin or so many people. It's really showing up in unfulfilling jobs. And I've always said the days of our parents staying in the same job for 30, 50 plus years, those are gone. So what are you doing to create an environment where people do want to show up and they want to go through not just the mundane, minimal requirement of a job, but to go through walls and really come up with creative ways to solve problems and show initiative and work for people they learn from and grow through. Two, servant leadership. Love is comment. No longer an option or nice to have or nice to be or someday. I genuinely believe in this post-pandemic world, you cannot lead effectively if you don't do this. If you don't just get in beyond saying people are important, actually backing that philosophy, backing that intellectual understanding with your actions with your behaviors. Number three, the notable nine. I, obviously, the title of this session, I really appreciated his breakdown in the future leader book of the four mindsets of global citizen, servant, chef, and explorer, and the five skills of a coach, a futurist, a tech teenager, translator, and a Yoda. So I would highly, highly recommend pick up a copy of Future Leader, check out his assessment, check out his books, and uh, really think about how you will think and lead differently. By the way, I've always believed leadership is not a title. It's how you show up and lead yourself first. Start by looking in the mirror, but also those you're blessed to work with, if not uh, really lead in an organization. Uh, by the way, we're completely revamping our website this next month. And I've been saving up all the show notes from these podcasts uh, to turn them into more in-depth articles, and we'll begin to post them in our blog. So check that out when you get a chance at norgroup.com slash blog. I'm so thankful for our listeners on the Curvebenders podcast. I want to keep producing great content most beneficial to your personal and professional growth in this idea of future of work. So I'd love to hear your feedback. Don't forget to follow us on the various social media channels. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn. 
and I'm using the hashtag CurveBendersPodcast. So make sure you follow that for all of our latest updates. Thank you.